The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We are going to spend some time in God's Word, uh, and we are in the book of Mark today, Mark chapter 1. So if you have our app, you can just click read, and it'll open it up uh, right there for you. Uh, or you can use a regular Bible too, I suppose. And, uh, and if, if you have neither one of those things, uh, that's fine. We'll, we'll have the big one up on the screen here. Uh, But we're in Mark 1, verse 9 is where we're at today. Mark 1, verse 9. It says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Uh, well, if uh, this past Wednesday, if you didn't know, uh, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which is uh, kind of traditionally throughout the, the church, throughout the world, and throughout time, uh, is, is known as kind of the start of Lent, that this begins this, uh, this 40-day uh, journey towards uh, the Good Friday and towards Easter. Uh, and if you weren't with us on Wednesday, we had a worship gathering here, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you weren't here. Uh, I, all right, you're fine. Uh, Jesus still loves you. Uh, but uh, it, was a, it was a pretty cool evening of worship. Like, we had... Uh, we had five different churches that were all gathered here. Uh, Axe Church Lander, Axe Church Northwest, Axe Church Lakeway, Axe Church Antioch, and Narrative Church, to keep it spicy. And, uh, and so we, we were all here, and, and it was awesome to, to be with God's people and to, to celebrate this season. Uh, really, this, this really important season that focuses us on the central act of the Christian faith, that, that core to who we are, absolutely everything about us, centers around the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this season, as we begin this Lenten journey, uh, we're going to start a new series. Do we have the slide for it up here? Yeah, we're going to change it. We don't like it, but this is what it is for now. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to start a... Don't use this one on the podcast. All right. Uh, we're going to start a new series called uh, His Father, Our Father. And, uh, and the idea behind this series is we're going to look at the doctrine of God. Okay, so this is a really small doctrine. Uh, we're going to look at the doctrine of God through the lens of Jesus' relationship to his Father, and in particular as he articulates it in the Lord's Prayer. Now I realize what I just said there is quite a mouthful, so let me just break it down real quick. Basically what this means is each week we're going to look at a portion of the Lord's Prayer and we're going to see how it's embodied in the life of Jesus. That's what we're going to see. And so today uh, we're going to start with really one of the most basic questions of all, kind of in, in the whole world, I think, Uh, And really one of the most basic questions when it comes to this idea of the the doctrine of God, who is God. Uh, And that question is this, uh, how do you see God? How do you see God? How do you see God? And in one sense, that question and the answer to it is nowhere near as important as to the reality of who God actually is. But how do you see God profoundly shapes how you engage this life? How you see God profoundly shapes how you engage this life. Uh, here's what I mean. A couple weeks ago, I was in Minneapolis and, uh, and visiting my friend Tom, and, and, uh, and he and I hung out, and, and we went to, uh, to play some darts at, at a bar. 
And I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, for as much as I talk about soccer up here, uh, I'm a profoundly bad athlete. Uh, I'm just, I'm not good at it. I'm gangly. It's a mess, okay? I just have very patient teammates, okay? Uh, and so, so I'm just bad at it. But, but I'm up in Minneapolis playing darts with my buddy Tom, and Tom is like a super athlete. Like, like he, he's, he's a basketball player. He still plays like every week. He schools guys that are 10 years younger than him. He's a super competitive guy. And so here we are throwing darts. And, and much to the surprise of both of us, that as we started playing, I started out in the lead. We're like, this is amazing, right? It was just, it was awesome. But inevitably, uh, Tom scored 60 unanswered points on me. And, uh, and in that moment, I remember when it happened, and I was just like, yeah, it's about right. And, uh, and so that happened, and I turned to him, and I, and I said, Tom, like, when you enter a competition, do you always expect to win? And he looked at me just shocked that I would even ask that. And he goes, of course. It's like, he goes, every single time I enter a competition, I expect to win. He's like, don't you? And I just burst out laughing. I was like, no, like, I always expect to lose. Like, I never plan on winning. Like, I've just given up on that. And I say that, and it could be a chicken or an egg thing there, right? Like, it could be, uh, on the one hand, that after losing enough athletic competitions in my life, I've just kind of given up on my abilities physically. Or it could be that because of my mentality in athletic competitions, uh, I'm so pessimistic that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's a chicken or egg thing. Uh, but, but regardless, we all know this, your mental approach to a competition greatly shapes your performance, right? We all know this. Your mental approach to a competition greatly shapes your performance. In the same way, how you see God greatly shapes how you engage this life. It just does. How you see God greatly shapes how you engage this life. It just does. In fact, I would argue that how you see God shapes how you engage this life more profoundly than anything else in the entire world. And so how do you see God? You see God as a judge. Do you see God as just made up, that he's just a projection of people's imaginations, that he's just wish fulfillment? You see God as a vending machine. Do you see God as a distant clockmaker that just kind of sets stuff up and then let it unwind and he's completely detached from it? Do you see God as a grandfather? Do you see God not as a personal being, but maybe as just some sort of spiritual force floating around out there? How do you see God? How you see God shapes how you engage this life. It just does. There's no way around that. And what's amazing to me is that the predominant way that Jesus refers to God is as Father. And the predominant way that Jesus tells us to refer to God is as Father. That of all the images we could have in our head of the Creator of the universe, Jesus says, no, 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 when you think of God, I want you to think of Him as a Father, as a Dad. Like when Jesus' disciples ask him, they say, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Jesus says to them, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. That at the very start of the most famous prayer in the world, Jesus tells us, his followers, to call God our Father. Now what we're going to see in our text today is we're going to see three attributes of God as Father on display in Jesus' life. We see, first of all, that God as Father is one who knows us. God as Father is one who provides for us. And God as Father is one who leads us. God as Father is one who knows us. 
one who provides for us, and one who leads us. All right, so, uh, so let's get into it. Uh, God as Father is one who knows us. Look with me at the, the first couple of verses in our text, 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. All right, so text here says that Jesus comes up from his hometown and he's baptized by his cousin John. Uh, and as he's baptized, if you notice this, some crazy things start happening, right? Like, like the clouds split apart and the Spirit comes down like a dove and rests on him. And then randomly, this voice comes out of nowhere and says, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now check this out. In, in all four of the biographies of Jesus that we have, uh, we call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In all four of them, Jesus' baptism, this moment, is seen as his commissioning into ministry. That this is the start of his ministry. And so what the Gospel writers tell us, and as far as we know then, Jesus hasn't done anything remarkable yet at this point in the story. Jesus hasn't done anything remarkable yet. He hasn't healed people. He hasn't fed multitudes. He hasn't preached grand sermons. And so before he's done anything at all, God the Father looks at him and says, You are my son, my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's true fatherly love. Now I say all that, and, and I realize this morning... Um, that, that for, for some of you, perhaps many of you, uh, you didn't maybe have a good father, or maybe you don't have a good father. And I know that not everyone here maybe even had a father around them at all. And so I realize that this message uh, may be painful as we go through it. I'm just going to ask you to hang with us uh, as we go through it. And let's just together, we're going to imagine an ideal father. Okay, we're going to say this is an ideal father. And this is what we'd expect, what we see here an ideal father, a father who doesn't demand that we earn his love before he gives it, a father who doesn't expect us to perform in order to merit his care. No, a good father preemptively loves his children. A good father bestows his love on his children regardless of their performance. Why? Because they're his kids. He knows them. He knows them. Uh, so as I mentioned on the front end of the sermon, uh, I'm bad at sports. And uh, my basketball career ended in eighth grade uh, when two people were cut from the team, uh, the foreign exchange student who had never played before, and me. Um, but in seventh grade, I was on the team, technically. Uh, I, I sat on the bench the entire season. And as I sat on the bench, uh, I'd cheer for my teammates, right? And I'd clap for them. And as I clapped for them, I discovered a really cool trick that I could clap with one hand. And then I realized I could do it with both. And so here I am sitting on the bench in seventh grade doing this. And my dad still came to almost every one of my games. It's fatherly love, right? Why would he do that? Because he knows me. See that kid clapping with one hand on the bench? It's my boy. Right? Like, that's, that's what it is. 
See, man, I think so often, like, we get this image of God in our head that he's just some far-off creator, or he's just some judge waiting to throw lightning bolts at us, or he's just some vending machine, or he's just some boss who's insisting we do more and more and perform more and more. But in this text, we see God as a father who says, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Now I say that, and some of you say, well, yeah, he's saying that to Jesus. And like, okay, you said Jesus hadn't done anything yet, but he's still like Jesus, all right? And I'm not. And so there's no way that God is looking at me like that. Do you know the stuff I've done, Pastor Gabe? Do you know the people I've hurt? The lies I've told? Do you know the darkness that's in my heart? God is not looking at me and saying, you are my beloved child. Wrong-o. Wrong-o. This is exactly how God looks at you. These are the exact words that God speaks over each of you. Listen to these words from 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, do you hear what this text is saying? That God the Father calls us his children. He calls you his child, not because of what you do or what you don't do. And that's what verse 2 is getting at. It's saying, listen, we're not fully realized that yet. We're not, we're not perfect people yet. We're still a mess. And yet, he calls you his child. Even right now, verse 3, it says, God looks at you as his beloved child because you've put your hope in Christ. You see, this is so important. When you put your hope in Christ, when you put your trust in Jesus, what that does, when you place yourself in solidarity with him, when you unite yourself with him, everything that is his becomes yours. All of his righteousness, all of his holiness, his standing before the Father, everything that is his becomes yours when you put your trust in him. And so now the Father looks at you and he knows you like he knows his son from eternity. Now think about it like this. If, if you were to go uh, see your child, if you have a child, and if you don't, just pretend you do, uh, and if you go see your, your child have a performance at school, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the performance, and you're going to take out your camera, right, on your phone, and you're going to record your kid doing her thing, right? And so she does her thing. And let's just say uh, that one parent happened to forget their camera. I don't know why they wouldn't have their phone, but let's just say they did. And they said, hey, would you send me a video of, of the performance of the kids' play uh, that they just had? What are you going to say? You're going to say, sure, of course. But in the back of your head, aren't you going to be thinking like, yeah, but this camera was not on your kid at all, right? Like my lens was focused on my kid the whole time. Like, like your kid may have had a solo and my kid may have been picking his nose, but my lens was focused on my kid, right? See, the beautiful thing we see in this text is that the lens that God looks at each of us through is Christ. That the lens that God looks at each of you through is Jesus. That he focuses in on who we are in Jesus. That he loves us as if we were as perfect as Jesus. See, God knows you completely. 
scripture tells us that he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And he knows the darkness in your heart. And yet he says, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Flapping hands on the bench and all. So God is a father who knows you. Secondly, God is a father who provides for you. Look with me at verses 12 to 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. All right, so Jesus is baptized. He's called God's beloved son, and then the text says that immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by Satan. Now, if this isn't exactly the outline of the Christian life, like, I don't know what is, right? Like, you receive the call as God's beloved child. You know him as father, and it's awesome. And then it seems like right as that happens, right as you start to get serious about your faith, right as you start to start taking your faith seriously and following God, is that not when things start falling apart? And you find yourself in the wilderness. You find yourself surrounded by the enemy, and he won't leave you alone. It just happens. It happens to me. Many of you know, I've talked about it on this stage many times. That as we started this church, Acts Church Lander, it was far and away the most spiritually trying time of my entire life. I was racked with self-doubt and depression and anxiety and insomnia. Like, I was a mess. And I'm not saying all of that was spiritual, but definitely large portions of it were. And see, this happens. This happens so often when we try to follow Jesus, we find ourselves in the wilderness surrounded by the enemy. And some of you may be there right now. Some of you may be there right now for many reasons. Uh, some of you may be there right now because of me. I'll recognize that, that you just started getting serious about your faith, and all of a sudden your pastor is leaving? Like, what is the deal with that? Well, this was Jesus' journey, and it's ours too. What we see in this text is that God is our Father. And God, our Father, like all good fathers, provides he provides for us. See, I don't know if you caught this at the end of verse 13. So Jesus is in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. But then what happens? He's with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. That in the midst of wilderness and temptation, God provides, and he provides naturally, in this case, wild animals, and supernaturally, in this case, angels. See, wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, God, your Father, provides for you. He does. Even right now, whatever's going on. You got food to eat, clothes to wear, job, roof over your head, family, friends. That's all his provision. That's him taking care of you. That's his natural provision. But in the midst of some of the darkest hours, we see that God provides for us supernaturally sometimes. It happens. Just this last week, I was uh, talking to my dad on the phone and the reason I was talking to him is because a, a close friend of the family uh, randomly died uh, at age 25. And so it was a big shock to the system. And, uh, and my dad, uh, who's a pastor, he's done literally hundreds of funerals. Uh, I was talking to him on the phone, and he said, Hey, Gabe, would you please pray for me? Uh, the family asked me to do the funeral, and, like, I don't want to do it. Like, it's going to be really, really hard. And, and I need you to pray for me to, to get through it. And so, of course, I, I prayed for him, 
and then uh, thanks to, uh, to Facebook Live, uh, I got to hear his message. And, uh, and he got up for this funeral, and he got up in his robes into his pulpit in front of like a thousand people. His church is a little different than ours. And, uh, and, he, uh, and, and he got up, and he, and he said, uh, do we grieve today? Yeah. He said, are we sorrowful today? Yes. And he said, but do we grieve as those without hope? And my dad's like real like fiery type preacher. And he's just, he goes, never! <laughs> and it was like this just powerful moment. Now why? Why do, we grieve, why do we grieve as though, why don't we grieve as those without hope? Because God provides. Because God provides. That in Jesus' resurrection, he provides for us. That even in the face of death and despair, we have the promise that we will have our own resurrection. But that's not the end of the story. See, even in death and despair, God provides. God our Father knows us. God our Father provides for us. And finally, God our Father leads us. Look with me at verses 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I love this. Like, like, if you've never read any of the Gospels before, I, I want to encourage you, start with Mark. It is awesome. It is just so action-packed. Like, we've had six verses. Jesus went from being baptized to being in the wilderness for 40 days, and now he's out preaching. Boom, boom, boom. It just happens quick. But let's notice what Jesus' message is, right? He says, the time is fulfilled, meaning it's go time. Stuff is happening. I'm here. I'm making things happen. And then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand meaning God's healing rule and reign is being unleashed on the world right now through Jesus. And then, then we'd say, well, how do I grab hold of that? How do I enter into that kingdom? And he says, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news that God's healing rule and reign is being unleashed through the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' message is that the kingdom of God is at hand. His message is that the Father's reign the Father's reign, His way of doing things in this world, His rule, His governance, His leadership is in place now through the person of Jesus Christ. And see, I love this because a good father leads. Right? And in an ideal world, a good father leads. But not as a domineering presence. Not with an iron fist. But a good father leads in love. He leads in love. And see, when our Heavenly Father's rule is in action, the hungry are fed, and the sick are healed, and peace is brought on this earth, and those that are far from Him are brought near. And see, this is so huge. Because the reality is, God can know you, He can know us, He can call you His children, He can call you His beloved, and that's really nice. And He can provide for us and take care of our needs, both in now and, and into eternity. But for God our Father to lead us, means that he's got the authority to do that. It means that we can trust him because he's got that authority. He's got that power. He knows us. Think about it like this. Uh, my son is different than me, like remarkably different from me, uh, which is fine, uh, but he's, he's very shy. If you've met him, you maybe haven't met him, okay? Uh, he's, he's very shy, and that's okay. Um, and, uh, and I've never been that shy. I'm certainly not that shy now. And so I, I'll just be honest with you, just as a father, like, I wrestle with that, right? Like, I'm like, what, what do I do? Because on one sense, like, it's his personality. I'm not going to be like, you can't be who you are and, like, get really upset. Like, it's who he is, and that's okay. And then the other hand, though, I'm like, man, just 
socially speaking, there's some things he's got to do that if he's going to get ahead in life, he's got to have some social skills that I've got to help him get to. And so for me as a father, I'm sitting there, I'm saying, how do I lead my son? How do I help him be the best him that he can be? Right? This is what I'm wrestling with. And my daughter is on the, the total opposite end. Like, she's crazy. Right? Like, like her favorite game right now is Naked Lila. Uh, if you're wondering how the game works, she takes off her clothes and goes, Naked Lila! And just runs around the house. Like, that's it. Okay? And like, that's cool when she's two, you know, but we're going to want to curb that, right? Like, I don't want that going on forever. Um, and see, this is what it is for us to have our Father lead us. This is what it is for us to have a Father who leads us, that, that He's wired you a certain way, that He's created you to do certain things, and that He's got the authority to lead you in such a way that you flourish. And more importantly, that his kingdom flourishes. And so we trust his leadership. We trust his perfect reign in our lives. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't know what's going on, we trust his leadership because we see that God the Father uses his authority, he uses his leadership always to love, always to care. So when I was five and my brother was seven, uh, we decided that uh, we were going to make my dad homemade Father's Day kit, uh, gifts. And, uh, and so I got together with my brother, and we had our, we had our planning session, okay? And, uh, and we were like, all right, we want to make him gifts that, that sort of embody the things that he likes. And uh, my dad's a pastor, and so we knew he liked our church. Uh, and then he would take us fishing, and so we knew he liked fishing. And so we're like, all right, well, one of us will make him something for church. One of us will make him something for fishing. Now, you have to understand, my brother is everything I'm not. Like, he is uh, like Mr. Khaki Pants, 2% milk, like straight-A students, you know, like just that guy, okay? Um, and so... So that's him, and, and I'm not that. And, uh, and so we're like, he's like, well, I'll do the church. And I'm like, all right, jerk. And so, so, so he, uh, I got stuck with fishing. And so, so my brother gets to work on making a, a present for my dad uh, with the church. And I kid you not, he makes like a two-scale model of our home church that is still in my dad's office to this day, like out of wood. Like it was just insane. And then here's Gabe, and I get fishing. I was like, all right, what am I going to make my dad for wishing, fishing? Perhaps I could whittle him something and make a lure. Or maybe I could dig up some earthworms, put in a Tupperware container. He's got bait. Maybe something like that. Friends, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too small. What my dad needed was a deluxe fishing bucket. And you're saying to yourself, what's a fishing bucket? It's a great question. Let me explain it to you. A fishing bucket is uh, when you go in your dad's garage and you steal his five-gallon bucket. <laughs> and then you break in to uh, your mom's office and you steal her ruler and some scotch tape and you tape scotch tape a ruler onto the bucket so we can measure the fish. Important. Uh, and then you take a piece of wood and you start hitting it with a hammer because when you do that it looks like fish scales and you throw that into the bucket. Uh, and then you take a string and you tie it on top of the bucket. And there you have it. It's your fishing bucket. And that was it, right? And so Father's Day, uh, Father's Day comes around and, uh, and we, the time comes for us to present our gifts to my dad. And my brother goes up, freaking perfect church, and, uh, and gives it to my dad. And he's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, and then Gabe's turn comes up, and, and I bring him my bucket, right, with the piece of wood in there that's been hit with a hammer and scotch-taped ruler on the side. And I give it to my dad, and he says, Wow this is awesome, Gabe. Would you mind explaining to me what it is? <laughs> and, uh, 
And I did. And I was like, oh, well, Dad, you got the ruler so you can measure your fish. And then this will inspire you to catch more fish. This great piece of wood. And you got the string to tie it on your boat. And he's like, wow, Gabe, this is so cool. Tell you what, next time we go fishing, I'll be sure to take this fishing bucket with me. And sure enough, next time we went fishing, uh, my dad took the fishing bucket with us. And see, man, we, we've all got our fishing buckets, right? Like, like, you've got your fishing buckets. But God, our Father, looks at each of you through the lens of his son. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, we can use that. Yeah, we'll do some good fishing with that. I'll lead you in that. God looks at each of you through the lens of his son. And he says, I know you completely. The hairs on your head and the darkness in your heart. But because Jesus went to the cross for you, there is nothing in this world that could ever, ever separate you from my love. And God looks at you and he says, through the lens of his son and says, I will provide for you now and I will provide for you into eternity because my son Jesus conquered death and I look at you through him. And finally, the father looks at you through the lens of his son and says, I will lead you to live into my healing rule and reign both now and into eternity. And so let's trust in him. If you all pray with me. God, our Father, we thank you that you know us, that you provide for us, that you lead us. God, I pray for each of my friends here. Pray for those who are, are maybe figuring out who you are and wrestling with what that looks like and what it means to call you Father. God, I pray they would know your love, your preemptive love that, that's pursued them, that's chased after them. I pray they'd embrace that. And God, we thank you for providing your Son for us that we might know you, that there's nothing in this world that could separate us from you because of his death and his resurrection. And Lord, teach us to follow your lead. Teach us to follow you with our whole lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.